Oh, I have a, a recent exploration story from Mammoth, California. That's where I spent the weekend. Um, my uh, my wife and I went with her parents up to Mammoth. We had um, some work there, and then we did some hikes. Um, we saw, it's called the Devil's Post Pile, which if you're a friend of a computer, Google it now, because geologically speaking, it's almost, it's, it's one of a kind. Yeah, these, they're hexagonal, volcanic, whatever. Okay. That's dope. Oh. So we, we go on this hike, and um, it was about two and a half miles up through the mountains. Pretty pretty girthy hike. Um, we get to the <laughs> waterfall, which is sort of the destination of the hike, and we realize we don't really want to go back. My mother-in-law is feeling unwell. Um, and then tra- tramping through the brush comes two families with little kids. One of the children is virtually a newborn, as far as I can tell. It's wrapped up in a... Um, like a sling. Swaddling cloth. And we ask the people where they came from, and they say that there's a campsite like a half mile that way. But you have to cut across this um, swampy, like a dry riverbed. And we're like, well, if a nursing mom and, her, and company can do it, like how hard could it be? <laughs> we're adults. And um, so we cut across this shortcut trail, go through high grass, um, go through brambles where we had to literally crawl on hands and knees. And then we had to ford a river... <laughs> Oh, um, I don't recommend it. It was shallow and not fast flowing, and it was still one of the most difficult things. Oh my I've done. god! Like I see guys, how people die in rivers. None of you guys elected to turn around. Uh, no. You just wanted oh, to get to that no. campsite. Yeah, and then the best part was after the river, we were still at the campsite, which is about a mile from where our car was parked, and so um, I was the one who volunteered to run to the car on a dangerous two-lane highway with curves so you can't see cars coming. Uh, and when I got to the car, I got stung by a hornet on the back. Oh, <laughs> this is like a... F- uh, yeah, so uh, that was CR my... monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, hmm, I've never been stung before. If I go into anaphylactic shock, then my family is going to be stranded oh. a mile down the road with no way to communicate. Without, there's with, also no cell without phone Without a cleric. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So I, um, yeah, that was... Also, I was sick wow. the whole time. So, oh. uh, so, yeah, that was my most recent exploration. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds like a, a tragic, <laughs> a bad quest. <laughs> <laughs> the worse the camping trip, the better the story. Oh, that's true. Amen. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 27, Exploration and Discovery. I want to take a moment here to define exploration versus travel, because I think sometimes as a GM it's easy to mix the two up. Um, To put it very simply, Lewis and Clark were exploring, and Frodo and company were traveling. Depending on the type of game you're going to be running... Um, it's important to know the difference. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that 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 makes it seem like because Lewis and Clark were paid a large sum of money. Um, oh yeah, to explore. Um, and Frodo and and the Fellowship just kind of had a like a quest to go on, an um, obligation. Yeah. And so for D and D, most paid. of the time, they're they have quests to go on. So I think it'd be really interesting to pay adventurers to go explore areas because that's not common yes it's always go retrieve this MacGuffin. it's never hey go tell us what's beyond that mountain um you've hit on something jake that i was going to bring up and that is to have a whole campaign where you have a a wild region unexplored unmapped and you you motivate the players to go in and draw a map so i want to i want to go back to the frodo and company point because are they not exploring? Because no. even though the terrain that they're traveling is mapped and there is a road, they haven't been there before. Like, they haven't left the Shire. So, in a but, sense, they are exploring so David, the when world. When you went to right? Newport, Rhode Island, like, yes. you went there. You weren't an explorer. Like, no, were... okay, like an explorer in the sense of, like, I'm the first to discover. Like, what does it mean to explore something? So, um... Oh my gosh, I can't sense. believe we're arguing the definition right now. Um, Frodo <laughs> and company had a goal. like They were going to yeah. Mount Doom, okay. and they did encounter things along the way, but the goal was not to explore the world. The goal was to get somewhere. But are they not mm-hmm. exploring the world as they are accomplishing sure, their goal? Sure, but, like, yeah, but that's not the goal. You, 
The goal yeah. was not exploration. Okay. The goal yeah. was to arrive at a destination. But even then, the goal of like Lewis and Clark isn't exploration itself. It yes, is it is. Just map. Yes, it is. They were it's the map. Yes, they were. They were they just paid, paid to, to map the. Is yes, that, they is were that not exploration. I thought they were mapping the Louisiana Purchase. Is what they were. Paid yeah, but but yeah, literally, was... Thomas Jefferson bought the Louisiana Purchase, and he said, "We need to know yes. what we bought." And he's like, "Go tell yeah. us what Indian tribes, uh, wildlife, flora, fauna." Um, their notes were extensive because their goal was just to gather uh-huh. as much information about this unmapped land as they the could, land. and chart yeah. it, and yeah. Exploration yeah, is, has a broad definition, but I think yeah. it's different than like a but, goal. So do you disagree with the definition, David? No, I agree. Not, oh, not necessarily. Just so we can talk about it, like um, a D&D game that's based on exploration um, is, is very different. Because if you yeah. want to have like, so, like my the trap that I've fallen into sometimes is I try to make travel interesting. And then it looks like exploration, but the players aren't interested in that. They're here to just arrive. I want to go to the dungeon. I don't want to get off track. So this is interesting because it's because the way I approach it was different. So if exploration is the goal of your game, it's going to be a very different game mm-hmm. because you have different things that you're going to be focused on uh-huh. for me. But it's also important because I think exploration being a pillar of D&D also comes into play when you do when you are focusing on the story and game elements, because okay. ex- exploration is a necessity to progress story and game elements as you're traveling along like eventually you need to get to the location you're supposed to go and Mm -hmm. you're you're you need to discover things about that area but that's not the goal of it it is the part of it it's like a sub item yeah Yeah. and it's and it's it's still a pillar and if you don't do it it for me if you don't do exploration well even if your game isn't focused on exploration your game text tends to lack in terms of immersion hmm, because yeah. you aren't immersed in your world because you don't fit into it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I definitely like, like to talk about that a little more. Later. I feel like Tomb of Annihilation nails this because it is, you're kind of traveling. Like you have a main quest. You're trying to find the forbidden lost city in the middle of the jungle, but you don't know where it is. So like you have to explore, like exploration is essential to finding Omu. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think immersion is the key for ex- exploration. Like you need to have them be, you know, bitten by <laughs> hornets, <laughs> or um, <laughs> you know, have like have them need bug spray. Have them use up their rations. Have them uh, get mad monkey fever. Like just have them like uh, affected by the world as they're exploring. It's funny um, to hear you saying that, Jake, because I. I feel like exploration done correctly in D&D, in really almost any version of D&D, it's going to be a matter of resource usage. It, uh-huh. It'll look a little bit like Oregon Trail, hopefully not that granular and obnoxious. <laughs> um, yeah. But like the main thing you're tracking, like, so you're sleeping every night, you're getting full health, you're getting um, your spells back. So how do you challenge players over time if not with resource usage? And that's where bug spray and food and water comes into play. Mm-hmm. interesting because i think of the opposite thing when i think of exploration i think of exploration more as focused on um information revealing okay. so it's like how do you reveal information about the world and continue to engage your players over a period of time mm. and how do you continue to keep them engaged and make them feel like they're progressing through your world you're not just in the same you know spot of jungle you were but you're in a different jungle location every single day and you're coming across different problems and you you feel like you're actually exploring and making progress in the world so for me it's about it's about discovering new things and it's about revealing information and that sense of progression like you feel like you're actually getting somewhere those aren't mutually exclusive, though. I feel like you can be both immersed no. and reveal information. And I mean, it's tough, though. I mean, I think we have to be upfront no, that, and honest. No, that's my point: is like, that all of those things? I think exploration yeah. is the hardest part of D anD. d Yeah, like it's, it's so easy hard. to write a story. It's easy to play a game. It's hard to explore and discover and feel that sense of progression in a world. Yeah, I think it's, the problem is, is like it's so hard visual. Part. It's so like yeah. exploration oh, yeah. is like inherently visual. And so you've got to paint a really good picture for the theater of the mind um, and have really unique uh, landmarks and uh, tree lines. And just it's so hard to be able to explain 
the world in a way that everyone imagines it the same, but is also interested. Like, yeah, it's it's tough. No, and I I love that point that you make because exploration is a very sensory yeah. like, thing that you have to do because if you look at any like video game, let's just say you're in Skyrim, for instance, and you're like, well, um, what do I want to do? And you, you just look and you see like, well, there's there's this weird cluster of trees over there. I'm going to go yeah. wander over there or this mountain. Yeah. I'm going to go climb it or this town. I'm going to go wander there. If you're not DMing well and you're not giving the information, like you see that weird cluster of trees, you see a mountain in the distance and you see a village. If you're not giving that information to your players, they're not going to know what to do. And they're going to feel yeah. like they don't have a whole lot they, they can do in their game. So that's why this is, in my opinion, the hardest pillar of D&D. Because you, it's all about revealing information well and engaging your players. So... That's what really yeah. makes exploration and discovery good is like, how do you like engage your players on a level that is, you know, interesting and giving them things that they can do and drawing them into the game. Oh, mm-hmm. so um, I'm, I'm into this discussion. Um, <laughs> as a pillar of D and D exploration is actually the first pillar they write in the player's handbook. And those mm-hmm. pillars are exploration, social interaction and combat. And they say that a good D and D campaign has a balance of those three things. Yeah. Combat has really clear procedure for how it works. I would say the D&D does it really best. Um, social interaction is easy because yeah. it works the way you want it to work. Like I talk to this guy, he responds. Um, but exploration has no procedure, has no instructions, has no yeah. examples, and has no uh, real support in the products other than oh, like yeah. a hex map. And then it uh-huh. says just kind of do what you want. Yeah. And um, so David's right. It is hard because as a person who's really been trying to make hex crawls work, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, getting back to David's point about how do you see things? Mm-hmm. Like, because you need so much information, but so often exploring in the wilderness is this rote set of procedures where it's like, well, I travel this yeah. far, you see this, and you camp. Next day, you travel this far, you see this, and you camp, and maybe you get an encounter. And it can be really dry and unexciting. And at a certain point, like when your player's eyes are glazed, you just say, okay, and you arrive at your destination. And so I have not yet cracked the mystery of how to solve this problem, but I think we're going to get pretty close in this conversation. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Speaking of the history of exploration, um, I touched on this a little bit. Um, There's uh, in my wanderings and research, (laughs) I have learned that the original D and D game is completely different completely mm-hmm. different than the game we are playing today oh boy. and I'm, I'm not going to say which is better or worse because i think there's a spectrum of experience that people kind of choose what they prefer um but the original game was a lot more about exploration huh. than the modern game is which okay. is more about telling a story and having this epic awesome experience yeah um so in the old game it started off in a dungeon and what do you do in a dungeon you explore and you carefully map it like you there was a in the original Dungeon Master's Guide, he explains, here's mapping procedures. You should have a player who does this. Um, and then eventually it went out of the dungeon and into the world, and it used this board game called Wilderness Adventure, I think. Uh-huh. And it was just a hex map, because nobody had printers or computers, and they couldn't just like find hex paper, hex grid paper. Um, and, and D&D used the rules from a board game for tracking travel over terrain. Oh, it, there wasn't weird. even rules properly in the book. It said, <laughs> go buy this Avalon Hill board game and yeah. use those instructions, which is silly to me uh, to think about in today's uh, world. <laughs> but a lot of the discovery of exploration came from random tables. Um, I've also learned that random tables were a humongous part of the old game because it adds flavor and variety to mm-hmm. what would normally be a pretty boring procedure. I've also learned that revealing information, like it's it's better, I think, to have more information for the players to act on than too little oh yeah and i've been guilty of not giving enough especially in outdoor segments yeah but anyway so that is a little bit of the history um and how the game's philosophy has shifted away from like discovery because in the old game you don't necessarily even have a big villain like you have a a place in the wilderness where there's a dungeon and maybe some ruins above ground and you go explore yeah and there's no time commitment there's no time crunch there's no villain the world's not ending it's just go like be lewis and clark Mm-hmm. discover yeah. huh that, yeah that is I so think, different like, like there are a lot of exploration video games like you think of no man's sky mm. and you have all of these like really cool or like far cry any like far, far cry, cry game where you're where you can just like wander around and hunt enemies and just kind of see the world and just wander through it Skyrim. And, that's, and that's something that is 
like you don't really want to do in D and D because it can be seen as boring. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, I think it's just because we as players and as DMs haven't really put in the effort to really engage the world and ask interesting questions or like describe the world in ways that is engaging and trying to draw you in. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's a core pillar, but it's just one that isn't talked about really. So some of the official published campaigns do have exploration, or at least they have maps and the implication that you're supposed to use them to explore. Um, I can think of three. Uh, that was the Curse of Strahd, where you get to explore Barovia, one vampire at a time. The <laughs> Out of the Abyss game, which lets you explore the Underdark, one mushroom at a time. <laughs> and uh, Tomb of Annihilation, which just lets you explore Cholt, one hex at a time. <laughs> yeah. I think I think they... Well, yeah. I haven't played the other two. But yeah, like I said, Tomb of Annihilation has the exploration sprinkled in to where a good dungeon master can run with it. But like you guys were also saying, it it doesn't kind of lay out the math of exploration, which I'm glad because that's not my kind of game. Um, Yeah. So I did a very minimal but very harsh resource management system uh, with just rations and each day would be one ration. Um, And then also the... the, uh, Tomb of Annihilation itself was, you know, uh, the death curse. Uh, so every day they lost one ration and one health. Um, and then also mm. I made them, when they were traveling, I make them take levels of exhaustion. Um, even even with the, the rest, I would just say, like, like, at the pace you guys are going, like, even if you sleep eight hours, you're still going to have that level of exhaustion. Just because it's, wow. it's, it's so brutal. I mean, you can't trudge through a swamp for for 16 hours and then sleep eight hours and feel good the next day <laughs> like i don't care <laughs> yeah. how strong you are i don't care what your strength score is like you're gonna be um taxed but see those it's just rations um that i'm uh monitoring um and, and exhaustion that, that's really it and i feel like it would have been a worse game if they included like here's water, here's this, here's uh, in the tomb of annihilation. They do say like, oh, a, a human humanoid of this size consumes this much water a day, and they gave like exact ounces. And I'm like, really? Who's gonna? Use I don't this? remember that yeah. at all. That's funny. It's like, oh, I've only had fourteen out of my sixteen ounces. No. Yeah. And that's that's a level of detail that is just tedious and, um, Mm. for me, useless. It's not fun or interesting at all. Because there's there's information that is, like, cool and interesting. Like, hey, there's this, like, craggly spire up ahead. Or it's, like, the temperature is 101 degrees. It is 51% humidity. (laughs) The sky is in the western northerly quadrant. It's uh, meteorologists and dragons. (laughs) Like, like that information, like, I don't, like, that doesn't paint an image in my head at all, but, like, seeing, like, like, vines, like, draped across the trees, and, like, you can feel the Mm. heat stick to your skin because of the swampy air. Like, that is, that is imagery, and that's engaging, and that's fun. And that's, obviously, that's more of, yeah. We're obviously on the same We're tuning our own horns. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think we all agree with this, but you guys also said... Um, I think, Will, you said there's social interaction, which has a system, combat, which is a very rigorous system, and exploration that doesn't. But could it? Like, is there a way to give a system to exploration? I don't know if there is. Yes, I think so. Yes, there absolutely is. Okay, so I think our systems are going to be different, so I want Will to go first. Um, Well, okay, so I've I've got a spectrum. Because, guys, this is something that I've been working on and trying to solve for the past year and a half. Uh I'm really trying to make it happen. I've looked at the old games, I've looked at new games, I've looked at blogs and house rules. Um, so I'm going to give you some options on the spectrum of like complexity, but like realism, and then more arcadey, like Jake's just track rations only. Um, mm-hmm. I have one that's even easier than tracking rations, um, but I don't know if I would use it. So my system looks like this. This is taken from a blog called The Alexandrian, who wrote up a really great detailed hex crawl procedure. Um, Personally, I wouldn't be using hex crawls anymore, but here's how it works. Um, you have a certain amount of um, miles you can march per day that is affected by the terrain type you're going through. So basically, and it can be simple. Like you move two tiles when you move fast, and if it's through mountains, you move one, right? Keep mm-hmm. it really simple. Um, you don't have to like have tables to look up, and you're not tracking miles. Just keep it simple. Um, 
you can only march for eight hours, and if you march longer than that, then you gain levels of exhaustion. And then you have a, I think, a two in 20, so like a 10% chance of an encounter a day. And like even that, that's really minimal procedure. Um, you would say that they consume a ration a day. Um, they could spend a day hunting to get some random amount of rations. Like, but so even with this, like I can have the procedure, but now how do you make it engaging for the players? Because I even yeah. so, Oregon Trail yeah. is what I come back to because that's like the game everybody knows of traversing wilderness and having a hard time, very hard time. Um, but it's not necessarily fun, and that stuff's even handled by a computer. It's just brutal. But I don't know if it's the system that makes it brutal or the game design of just making it really unforgiving. So my games, I try to make it just like a background element. Like, you know, you you have this many rations, you can move this far. Um, but I haven't figured out how to really make it fun yet. Well, I think it is fun as a background element. I feel like it doesn't need to be the main character. Like, it's just a solid supporting character in the background um, that's kind of omnipresent. And I think that's all it needs to be. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had a group. Maybe it's just the uniqueness of my group that really loves the social um, and the combat. Like, I feel like it's weird to have a party of people who are being like, oh, I can't wait for an exploration adventure. Like, I don't know. It, it's not like if you were to do a list of things you like in D&D or why I play D&D, I don't think exploration is going to be on the list until like the mid 20s. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of cool things that you can do with exploration because I love playing exploration games, Mm -hmm. like video games. And whenever I play a D and D exploration game, it just feels lacking in that area. Mm -hmm. And I think that that comes down to the system and the immersion more than um, anything else. And I think that immersion becomes a hundred times more important. The more you focus on exploration like the like it becomes exponentially more important based off of um like how you focus on it because all of the exploration that you're doing is fo- focused on your sensory and visual information that you're receiving from your GM and if they're not communicating that to you you're not going to have as much to explore you're not going to have that vivid mental map and you're not going to have as many things to do because you're not you're not focusing on the npcs or the story for your progression you're focusing on the things that you discover in the world and yeah that's why a lot of exploration games tend to lack see i think i i agree with that and i'm not saying exploration is total yeah. garbage i'm just saying like no you know even if i give the best most eloquent beautifully written uh like description of the world and my players are just yeah. like, whoa, that's ins- that's beautiful. That's awesome. That still isn't going to compare to them fighting the villain. Like it, the funness yeah. level will never. It can never. I think it's get different. To the it's other a different parts. type yeah. of game. Oh, and the, so I, yeah, we gonna, agree. We agree. Yeah. So, like, and I think that if you if you enjoy exploration games and you go into it hoping for exploration, I think you you can try to offer a better experience. But if you're focusing on a story based game and that's what your players want then giving them an exploration game isn't going to make them now happy. Now that I or as think happy. about it, I've never played an exploration-based game. Hmm. No, I don't think I, many people have because it's really hard to do. Yeah. Like I, To give that sense of like I'm moving through this world and this world is like alive and living and there's interesting things all around me, that's hard. Like That's something that is really hard to do. But I I guess like I can go into a little bit on how to like fix that because sure. – one of the things that I think that I commonly imagine when I'm playing D&D is I assume that everything is a green plane, green grass plane, <laughs> until otherwise specifically given. Oh, and I think yeah, that yeah. as a GM, if you if you are like narrating a world, you should say like how is this different than just a flat green grass plane? Because that is like a base standard like this is what I see. Whereas mm-hmm. If that that's generally what your players are going to see, and if if that's what they have in their minds, like then they're going to be like, well, there's nothing really to do around here. There's like dirt and grass, and that's it. But if you start like adding world elements to it, like you see like a mountain with a skull carved in it in the distance, like that's interesting. Like I want to go explore yeah. that. I want to go see what it's about. You see like you know like weird craggly shaped trees that seem to be like dead but still have a few leaves. Like that's. Like, that's interesting. And that's, like, so, one of the ways that you can... 
So Go ahead. I feel like what you're talking about, David, is not exploration. You're talking about uh, world description, like like and, but and world building. Honestly, and like, like so, if you so, have a cool world and you describe the world well, that's great. Yes. But is that okay? Does that imply exploration? Yes. I don't know. Like you, okay. those those two are like, in my opinion, like the same thing. Like you need to be able to communicate your world well for players to explore it. So because will. if you if you can't communicate your world well, then players have nothing to explore. Well, okay. will you, in your experience, isn't it the opposite? Because you said basically, I have all this cool stuff, and I tell them about all this cool stuff that they can go explore, and you just go, my players generally don't care; they just want to move on in the quest, right? Um, yes, but that is because my adventures typically have uh, a time commitment, like a pressure yeah. in the story, and they're going somewhere. Like, they're traveling. They're not necessarily exploring. And so even on Hot Springs Island, which is just one big hex crawl, um, the players saw, uh, I think it was, like, uh, less than a third of the, the things they yeah. could have seen. Hmm. Yeah. That's, so, that's like, interesting. So it, it's not. Is, I think exploration is... is not about the quality of the description. I think that helps um, with the pillar, but I think exploration really is allowing for or creating specific quests or goals that make you explore or, or really <laughs> give you a big carrot to like want to go after. Yeah, yeah. to explore. Like, yeah, you. It's 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 making you want to discover things about the world, and that's kind of what exploration like is it's like i i need to go to like this one i need to find this land and so, it's like it's trying to do that within the world like you I still just, need goals you can't just you don't want to just wander around because that's kind of boring like after a while so it's it kind of boring even in video yeah, games yeah i am th th i just thought of something really crazy i think one of the biggest fears of a player is they see oh that skull mountain on the horizon yeah. um or maybe this path leading off the road, uh, and they go, "Oh, what if there could be there could be something cool over there?" But then they go, yeah. "Huh, it could be nothing." But the trick is, it's never nothing. That's the truth. Like every single thing in Dungeons and Dragons that the dungeon master says to you is a Chekhov's gun. All of it, yeah. or else we won't, or else we wouldn't say it as the dungeon master, like. If, yeah. if we say something exists, it's meant to be used or explored or looked at. There's never – there's no chance that you go there and there's nothing because, oh, I yeah. mean, I guess there is a chance. But, like, most dungeon masters say things – like, everything is a hook. Everything is in play. Yeah. There yeah. are no, like, dead weight in our descriptions, right? So as oh, players, yeah. don't be 100%. afraid of it being nothing because most – like, 99.999% chance of the time, it is not nothing. If it's said, it's something. Like, if you – if you put something interesting in it, like there's, there's going to be some benefit to exploring it or learning about it because yeah. like, that's, that's how you like everything is a plot hook, like should, should be implied. So every like interesting yeah. piece of information, like should like the way I run it, lead you into some form of interesting story or give you something or like have some sort of benefit to doing it. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. If you're traveling over land, uh, you're going to need a map. And drawing maps is a great hobby. And one of the main reasons I got into D&D &D in the first place yeah. is so that people Same. will actually look at my maps. <laughs> um, I love so it. There's a, there's a couple of different, um, I guess, tweaks for usability at the table. Um, I have four different kinds of uh, ways to, to present maps to players or even just to draw them for yourself and then explain them to players. Um, so the first is just a traditional map. Like you just take a regular piece of paper, you draw some hills and some trees and a road and uh, maybe like a, a legend that shows like this distance is this many feet and uh, and the players go. And you just kind of look at it and say, okay, well, they're kind of north. They're going to see the, the haunted mansion, right? The house <laughs> of the hill. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> so that's okay. If you want um, like hex paper can be used. This is, uh, I call it the traditional gridded map. If you were to look at a, a topographical map of any area, chances are it's going to be gridded, square, grid. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. The uh, hex maps, these are hexagon grid maps. These are more common in D&D because of that history with that board game, wilderness, adventure, whatever. Oh, is and, that where it came from? Uh, yeah, it's from this board game. And then it just oh, kind of continued so on. That's so crazy. That's awesome. 
some people just take um, that board, that original board, and they just uh-huh. use that in their world. Which is so funny to me. <laughs> That's awesome. But they just they they put the locations cool. in wherever they want. Um, so this is more common. Um, you're just gonna say that the each hex square takes this much time to travel through, and um, it could be as small or as large as you want. Most common, you see five mile hexes. So one hex is five miles, which is a lot of space because yeah. I think almost my entire hometown fits into one hex if that's the scale. Um, so lots of stuff. Yeah, I know. And then uh, the one that I prefer that I've come to realize that I think is superior is what's called a point crawl. And um, just so a point crawl looks like the overworld map in a Mario Brothers game. So you just move like from A to B oh, to C yeah, and then yeah. maybe it'll branch. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really simple because on a hex map, like you'll have mountains and, and um, all kinds of different terrain and you can move into any of them. But in real life, like for instance, this weekend with me hiking, um, there's certain paths that are inaccessible for one reason yeah. or another. Like you could, oh. you could probably cross any river yeah. if you tried hard enough, but most likely you're not going to. You're yeah, going to go gonna around. Stay on the road. Um, Yep, and the same goes for mountains and any other kind of terrain obstacle you can think of. And so yeah. a point crawl models that a lot better um, because there's obvious paths. And then, um, so the, because this is my preferred method, here's how I would do it. Um, and I do this for dungeons as well. So if if you're running a theater of the mind game, I don't think you should draw dungeon maps. I think you should draw like a post-it or a note card and you write down what it smells like and looks yeah. like. Oh and, yeah, and where oh, like the, the rooms lead off of this, yeah. right? And you just describe that to the players because you're, if you have a map and you're looking at it, you know all the information as a DM, and your players know nothing. Yes, and you might not focus on what needs to be focused on. Exactly. But if you write it down, then you're giving a a verbal description from a verbal description. Yes, and the players will get it. And so I would mm. run a point crawl the exact same way, where I say. Um, you know, you arrive at this clearing, you see a mountain on the horizon, you see um, like an old campsite fire, right? Like you see a fire over the trees here. Um, and this way you don't have to look at some stupid map and then find the corresponding key with the description. You just have it all right there. It's very easy and simple. Yeah, I love the idea of point crawls and I'm thinking about not even having a map for my next world that I build. Hmm. Just because I think that it would make point crawl, just it would, it would fit better within point crawl because it's like, well... I want to go from like Neverwinter to uh, Waterdeep, mm-hmm. and sometimes like the travel isn't important in a story-based game. Yeah. So it's like you're just gonna get there, rather than having to go through the, all of the travel procedures. So I'd rather just do a point crawl where it's just interesting point to interesting point to interesting point, which mm-hmm. is how every story has been told for centuries, and yet we focus on it like now for like no reason. When you look at um, any movie and they will highlight the interesting points of travel. Yeah. They will I'm show thinking you an of image Indiana of them Jones walking and then with yeah. like the plane flying, they're making the red line. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's exactly a point crawl. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, and like you're you're skipping like do you want to watch a movie where Indiana Jones is on a plane for 4 hours? Like <laughs> well, I don't. You'd be surprised. I, I, I don't. There's a reason yeah. they don't they yeah. cut that crap out of movies. It's because nobody mm. cares about it. And yeah. unless like the point is that travel is tedious and hard and that you're focusing on that and you're making it a part of the journey, like every day they're having a challenge that they have to face when they wake up and they go through, like you want to skip all of that mm-hmm. stuff and you want to get to the part that is interesting and exactly. engaging. And I think that's how you should approach a game in D&D. So. so I'm a huge fan of just having a world map for your world. And I'm also a huge fan of playing in that world as long as you can so there's like this familiarity like there's nothing warms yeah. my heart more as a dm than when one of my players quotes or like like points out or references a city or a place or a river or <clears> just like something from my map that they know and i'm just like it just warms my heart <laughs> um but i understand maps can be tedious or just kind of a dungeon master hobby more than anything but i really really well, you love can what still... you said will yeah, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm sure. I was no gonna say you can thought. still have all those cool locations in your world. You just don't necessarily need to have an actual like picture map because. But like there's so much information that is as, just unused as generally. As, but as an aspiring cartographer, it's so fun. <laughs> like I make maps for fun. Oh sure. So it's not like I'm losing I, I time. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> like it's yeah, I think if time. you enjoy making maps, like go for it. Like making maps yeah. is awesome and fun. Like I've made maps before, and it's 
it's awesome. So yeah, I'm just saying it's not necessary for what D and D is. Yeah. Well, and so the the, the yeah. friction becomes how do you model exploration on a point crawl? Because if there's only so many places you can go to, that's why um, a hex map tends to work better if you have just like a lot of places to go. Yeah. But I, you know, I think there is a way to get a point crawl doing that. I'm gonna do it for you guys. <laughs> I believe. I in just you. I just want to uh, echo what you said about the note card of like each room in a dungeon or something like that or each hex mm-hmm. um it, yeah. it's so important to include the five senses right like so you yes. have obviously what you see what you hear but think about like what you smell or like um like how things feel like think about it more um with the total senses in mind not just um visual oh yeah, yeah. so <gasps> i think that That's my point crawl map Oh, yeah. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Yeah, that's great. So I think that as a DM, there are like there are like four or five like core questions that you should try to answer when you are describing or when the players are when they get to or explore a location. So like the first thing is like, what is the first thing that jumps out at you visually? So that would be like like any interesting buildings or like maybe something in the distance. Maybe there's um, maybe you just see like a, a beam of light. Like, I don't know. It could be, it could just be like anything that, that strikes you visually. Like that's a piece of information that the players are going to want to know so that they have like what, what jumps out at them. And then you're going to have like secondary information. Like what is the atmosphere like? Like, what is it? What do you, how do you feel? Not, you don't want to tell the players how they feel, but you want to describe things in a way that would make them feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. So you never yeah. want to tell your players like you feel scared. Like I think that's one of the that's a it's a DM sin that's a cop out yeah. uh, I've committed before. And it's 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 a cop out rather than saying like the room is dark, you can barely see your hand in front of you. You hear you ominous noises coming from in front of you. Ankle. Yeah. And all of those things create a sense of like yeah, I don't want to go in there because it's scary. <laughs> yeah. So you you want to you want to try to describe things in a way that evoke a feeling in your players. Like how should they, if you want to think about how you want them to feel and then describe things in a way that helps evoke that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can't agree more. So yeah, the travel or exploration in general needs to fit the tone of your game. Um, so if it's a more gritty, scary, like zombie type um like, like, think of, like, zombie apocalypse. Like, you're going to have more resource tracking. It's going to be more gritty. It's going to be hard to move around. Whereas if you're playing in, like, yeah. a standard Forgotten Realms, Faerun, like, it's, it's going to be pretty easy just to go from city to city. Um, so, yeah, make sure, like, the exploration and the travel fits the tone of your game. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I think it would be interesting to run a zombie game or even, like, a D&D zombie game um, moving through a city because you're tracking every piece of ammunition and every piece of food because oh, yeah. it really matters. It really matters. But it, like you're saying, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just going to agree with you and restate the thing. So you just said, so maybe I'll be quiet. <laughs> no, I, well said, I, Jake. <laughs> I like the idea of, I'm thinking of it like a zombie apocalypse happening in a standard um, fantasy world. And like each city is mm-hmm. just a huge walled bastion where, um, where you have to kind of stay and travel between, uh cities might only be through like expensive hippogriff rides or something um that mm. yeah that's interesting that's pretty cool because imagine uh when a hippogriff crashes or gets shot down oh, yeah. and then you have to like traverse this dangerous world oh Ugh. really That'd fun be cool i, I want to touch a little bit more on travel procedure um i think that all the things we're talking about can really be mixed and matched to get the tone you want I love the idea of a point crawl. I love the idea of note cards with descriptions on them. Um, But if you want to have player decisions matter, I think it's important that you track three things. And those are how much you're carrying, which is your weight, how many supplies you have, and time. And I'll uh, I'll drill down into each of these briefly. So um, I've always found weight tracking rules in RPGs to be terrible. And so uh, as part of my exploration endeavors... I guess you would say my exploration of exploration games. <laughs> I have found the one that works best for me is slot-based encumbrance. Ooh. This works kind of like um, like an RPG, like Diablo or um, WoW oh, when you have bags. Yeah. 
Yeah, this way you're not like, oh, my sword weighs two pounds. It's like, no, I can carry ten of anything, right? And, and if you get really fancy, maybe you could have items be of different sizes, which is more like uh-huh. Diablo 2. Um, but it just keeps it simple. Because like I said before, if it's too complicated, you're not going to use it, and that doesn't do you any good. This will put players in situations where they have to choose what to keep. I've seen in many of my games, players are like, oh, is there a sword on this goblin? I'm like, yes, like, I'll take it. And so the players wind up with like 30 swords and there's no ramifications or repercussions and they're probably never even going to get rid of them other than to like sell them. But if they have a decision of like, okay, I only have room for like my supplies, my armor, and like one broadsword and one bow and I want to optimally use those things. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I even, I have gold take up a slot, like like every hundred gold, I think, or every thousand gold takes a slot. Um, And so you see players finding places to store their gold. And this leads to more situations where, like, they either want to go to a bank or they're going to bury it somewhere they're coming back to. Yeah, because of the system, <laughs> this was the first time that we've ever talked about a bank in D anD. d Yeah, because ever. I'm like, I'm like, I have oh, already wow. have like 200 gold starting out in the game. Like, I don't want to take this on an adventure with me, yeah. so I go to the bank and I'm just like, I need to store this. Why have like, I okay. never thought of that? Why? Yeah. Like, why aren't banks yeah. like? Wow. <laughs> Like, when gold has weight, and when it takes up inventory, like, you need a place to store it, because you don't want to hold on oh to it, because God, it's like, makes, it takes it up so, yeah. I'm going to have a big bank in so, Waterdeep. <laughs> oh, ooh, and you should make every 100 gold take a slot, because, like, I'll show you the sheet that I use, Jake, you're going to yeah, really, uh-huh. even you would like it, because it's, um... It's pretty simple. It's, it's but, but simple. simple. And you don't See, have to do any math or anything. My my players always end up with a bag of holding. Um, and so they just mm-hmm. kind of oh. toss their gold in like the bottom floor of the bag of holding. It just <laughs> piles up when I need it. They reach in and get it. <laughs> and see, kind of like the ranger. Like the bag of holding solves a problem that most people don't have because yes. they don't track weight. Yeah. Like the yeah. value of a bag of holding in, under the system is exponential. It's infinite. It basically turns yeah. into a legendary item at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's and even true. then, like they're not—they're not infinite space in there. It's like three hundred pounds or something, which is essentially double your inventory space, which yeah. is really cool. Um, I think I think I saw it somewhere where Mike Merle said um, that the exhaustion system isn't used enough. He, I think he said a lot of design went into the five E exhaustion system, um, and I've used it on in the Tomb of Annihilation campaign I did, but other than that, I don't use it. So make. Um, make travel and exploration taxing on the players. And there's already a system built in uh, with exhaustion. Um, And I've seen a lot of people say they will just give out two, they will like bump up the exhaustion and say, this takes two level of exhaustion Um, and make it. Cause like you don't even get knocked out until like level six of exhaustion. Um, Oh yes. Yeah. So it's like, bump that up. Like say, yeah, you guys can travel and get there before the end of the night. But it's going to cost you like three points of exhaustion to do so. Ooh. Like that is something interesting. Make them have to make decisions like that. Um, Cause yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, I, I, like, good. That I like that. That's so good. Um, like giving them an option like, Hey, you can do this, but it, you'll have to take an exhaustion. Yeah. Yep. Um, because I think player choice, especially suboptimal player choice is the best. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's a quote from, uh, from a designer. It's one of the guys who designed civilization three, I believe. And he said, given the opportunity players will optimize the fun out of the game. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and I know it to be true. <laughs> David. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so that was weight oh, yeah. tracking. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about supplies. We kind of touched on this already. Um, I love Jake's idea of just tracking rations, rations or I would just call yeah. them supplies. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to look at every, like, ounce of, of food, water, and medicine. Like, just make it one thing and then make it go down. Um, even simpler than this was... Um, it was the the guy who does the index card RPG. Uh, uh, anyway, he's a great podcaster. He has his travel just cost gold. So like if you're traveling in the wide open plains, it's a gold per character per day. Interesting. Um, just like retroactively in, like, taking yeah, it away. Like, I love that. You just like yeah, it's so simple. And then if you're in the, the if you're in the frozen tundra, it's like five gold a day. Like it's it's harder oh. to travel here. And so like if you run out of money, that's when you start getting these repercussions of like exhaustion and um you know danger. Yeah. So wow. th- and then you skip that shopping step in town. It's like, oh well I have like twenty rations. Like, you know, you, all you're gonna track is gold. That's so incredible. One thing I wanted to one thing I wanted to say about travel before we move on, because I think travel is pretty boring generally, is force your players off the beaten path. 
make your players have to take a different route that will make travel way more interesting the road is closed there's a cliff out of nowhere there's bandits bridges there's guards patrolling and you're wanted by the guards like that all of those things will force players off the road and have to take an alternate route which makes things so much more interesting yeah because that's true if you're always on the main road it's just like eh, it's like i'm on a road like who cares but like we talked about we talked about in the settlements and cities how traveling is dangerous like there's bandits everywhere like you didn't travel back in the day Mm -hmm. and you should have dangers when traveling now especially Mm -hmm. if you're in the wilderness traveling should be you know something that you're you're encountering obstacles so you want to focus on the obstacles that they focus that that they encounter every day so if you're on a boat like maybe the boat starts to leak so you have to figure out how to stop that leak while on your boat if you're traveling like maybe you get robbed and you lose all of your food so now while traveling on your road the rest of the way there you're constantly having to hunt and find food along the way to sustain your journey (laughs) like there's all sorts of things that you can do i love that i love that so much because the challenge there oh sorry jacob so, so the more i think about it like um, traveling, especially in my uh, setting, my, my continent is pretty pretty simple. Uh, they can just go from place to place. I'll just say like that takes four days or that that takes three days. But every time I do introduce something, they're like, like I'll say at the end of the second day, you see that the road is closed or you see something big happen and they're always kind of caught off guard and i think that's fun to surprise your players like imagine you're like okay this will take you three days travel and they're like, okay um so at the end of the second day you come across a massive meteor that has struck the center of the road and it's like whoa like they're like what the like i was not expecting that i was expecting just simple travel so yeah, yeah any complications that um arise during travel can be surprising and fun and I think, yeah, I think it makes it much more interesting. Uh, the challenge here is making the setbacks seem fair because it really sucks yeah. if you're like, okay, the players have done everything right and now all of a sudden our DM said, oh, like a hole rips in your bag and all your rations fall out. Um, that <laughs> it, it feels bad. Like that makes players mad. Um, yeah. And so uh, having a clean procedure and having random tables, like to say, okay, uh, something happens and now we get to roll on this setback table. This way it's fair. The GM is oh. not like screwing around. Um, but if, you know, and, and there's some very clear trigger, like the players are aware if this danger happens, you get a roll on this table. Yeah. Um, this way they don't feel like it's them versus the GM. They feel like it's them versus this cruel system, this world that is really out to get them. So, um, one of the things that I like to do is let's say uh, you do force the players off the beaten path. The road is closed. So they start taking an alternate route. One thing you could do is like, let's say um, you want to ambush your players mm-hmm. and you have like a marking or you, you, you want to have them like get ambushed by bandits. So you could have like a tree with like a weird, like with weird, like scratches in it. And it's like, that's something that you could describe to your players and that they would notice. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, if they like roll successfully on a check, it can mean they they could see like this these scratches were made from like an owl bear, so there's owl bears nearby that they need to be careful of, or uh-huh. it was made by you know it was carved into a tree as like a path marking, or it was carved by like you know it to be a bandit mark, so that this is like where they generally ambush people in the wilderness. When you want to make an adversity feel fair to them, like losing rations or getting attacked by enemies. You want to make sure that you have signs of that in your world. Yeah, so let's say they're forced signs. off the beaten path. They're mm-hmm. wandering through. They see one of the things they could see is like big scratch marks on a tree. That could be from anything. So they would have to examine it. If they pass a roll, maybe they see that it's from an owlbear and there's owlbears wandering around near the by. So I have to sneak around and that can change how they play. But if they don't learn about that, then the owlbears will just attack them mm-hmm. and they won't even know because they weren't prepared. Or they could the scratch marks could be a path mark for like thieves. And that's where thieves ambush people who go off the beaten path. And mm-hmm. that, that could be something you could learn through a search check. If you don't learn it, you get ambushed. Like these are all things that you can do, but you want to make sure that the players feel like there was a way that they could have known. And like, after they look back on it, it's like, Oh yeah. Like I totally like that's, it makes sense now, mm-hmm. but like I was, I just didn't know. Yeah. So mm. keep it fair. Keep it forecast fair. danger. Mm-hmm. 
the last of my three resources is time. And uh, there's a quote from Gary Gygax I will indulge. He says in the, uh, I think in the AD&D Player's Handbook, he says, in all capital letters, you cannot have a meaningful campaign if strict time records are not kept. Huh. So he really uh, loved time. And, and reading through the old books, I realized why. So um, I guess without getting into the history lesson, I'll just say here's how I would handle it for travel. Um, so you can go hour by hour. You can have, um, they have these big like, yellow clocks with gears uh, for children to teach them how to read clocks. Um, having one of those works where you just track like, okay, an hour <laughs> goes by, move it forward. Um, I've never done that, but I've heard some people do. Uh, Hot Springs Island used to, used a system called watches. And so there was, I think, six. Um, a watch is a block of four hours. And so you have six poker chips. You have two red, two blue, and two black. So um, that, they just represent morning, the daytime, nighttime, or evening, and then the nighttime hours. So you basically have huh. four of these blocks to use, uh, and, it, and it takes one block of time to, to travel one hex, right? It's easy, and you get this tactile kind of board gamey thing. Uh, the problem with that is that it felt more like a board game, and it wasn't immersive. So um, that's one thing. And then um, uh-huh. the idea that I had uh, when I was writing these notes was using clocks from Blades in the Dark, and that is just a, uh, a circle uh, bisected into quarters or sixths, and um, and just filling in segments whenever stuff happens. It's really easy. Yeah. I feel like um, I keep singing it. I keep singing its praises, but uh, the Tomb Annihilation nailed this with the entire premise of the Death Curse taking away one health every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so good because it's an automatic like timer. Like they're like um, yeah. one of the guys in my game who's kind of the min maxer. Um, he wants to always optimize his character. Um, he was just horrified. Like he's like, guys, we need to find we need to find the Forbidden City, and everyone else is like, oh, we can have a drink. He's like, no, we can't. We need to leave tonight. <laughs> oh, and it was just so <laughs> great to like see the urgency just built into the uh, to the module. Um, another thing is just add more of these clocks or these like time constraints on, and they'll just double up and be great. Like they were going through um, the final. Uh, in in the actual tomb of annihilation and they had this this big uh this this uh kind of cortez like general who is the villain that's after them um and he has a bunch of warforged uh that are just following they're just like trying to catch these adventurers um and claim the treasure for themselves and so this rogue general with these warforged are on the players tails and so they're like going through a deadly dungeon like as fast as they can because they've got someone coming behind them and they have the (laughs) death taking away yeah so it's like (laughs) they missed portions of the tomb annihilation just because they were they had to run um from these these metal monstrosities that are coming behind them um so So add add more and more timers um to the game uh and it will make it oh yeah just way more tense and fun it also makes players make suboptimal decisions because yes. if they don't have enough time to make all of the decisions, then they can only make some of them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that makes everything better because yeah. it 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 feels like you you're just it makes the game more fun. Yeah, they can't yeah. Uh, optimize the fun out. Yeah, yeah. I have some recommended reading for aspiring GMs who are looking to uh, look at how other games have handled travel. The first is a book. It's not even out yet. Um, it's called Ultraviolet Grasslands. This is made by a man named Wizard Thief Fighter. He has a Patreon. If you pledge a couple bucks a month, he will give you the most recent PDF. Um, there's also a free version you can get if you just want to look at it. Uh, I would describe it as Neon Science Fantasy Adventure Time Oregon Trail Point Crawl. Um, this follows. I know it's a mouthful. Oh, wild. This follows your your team. You have a cart or a, or a a wagon, whatever, and a crew, and you're transporting goods from this violet city far in the north all the way to the black city in the far south, and it takes weeks or months to get there. It's really weird and very cool. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I've actually read the PDF, uh, and it is just so crazy. It, it inspired me a lot for my uh, post-apocalyptic campaign that just wrapped up, and oh, man, just so interesting. And you, you see the system and D and D and travel in a way that you often just don't think about. Um, and it really can, can add some fun to your game. That's a cool, that's a good read. 
yeah, really unique. Um, next one I have is called the Perilous Wilds. This is a supplement that was made by a guy. Um, I, it's a supplement uh, for a game called Dungeon World, which I've mentioned before, but it works with any system because it's just highly usable. Um, I would describe it as the best random generators I've ever seen for exploration and discovery. Wow. And um, uh, also I should mention that you can get all the tables for free online. Um, just Google Perilous Wilds Random Generator. This is made with the permission of the creator. And um, we can, in fact, right now, Jake, I think we should create some some stuff. Ooh. So yeah. let's create a, uh, a discovery. We're traveling in the world. Ooh. Let's discover. I got a structure, a burial, a religious, significant, great temple. It is uh, made by humans, chaotic humans, and it follows the aspect of knowledge and intelligence. Huh. So that is just... It's like a yeah, Stonehenge so uh, type thing. But like a temple. So like an evil chaotic temple. Sounds scary. Time and knowledge. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's like, it's like an hourglass. I can also make a random creature. So Ooh. I'm going to make one now and then we'll move on. I got a uh, common type creature that is a goblin or kobold humanoid. It is Its activity is that it is crafting or praying. Its alignment is evil. Its disposition disposition is friendly, and there's 15 of them. Oh, oh man! So you just see them a like friendly down. Oh, so you see like oh. all of these but, cultists like bowing down and like Stonehenge. Ugh. That's <laughs> oh, so we just filled our ruin with a random creature, wow. and so this this book is just tremendous. I'd also comment that it has some of the best typography and layout I've ever seen on an indie product. But if you don't want to buy it, just use the random tables. Um, once again, that is the Perilous Wilds. Man, that sounds really cool. Wow. I need to check that out. All right, guys. Welcome to the Question Vault. Um, every week we answer one of your questions that you send us, and you can do so uh, by emailing us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com or really messaging us on any social media. Um, this week's question is from Ben Hamilton, who writes, Hey, guys. As an aspiring but new dungeon master, I personally have trouble creating encounters that are good for my players. I suppose each encounter has a different purpose, whether it's to make a trip more interesting or to set up for a boss, but I can't seem to find a good mix of challenging but fun. Uh, challenging but fun. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Part's> so good. Um, <laughs> how do you all create your encounters and or what tips do you have for making them thanks in advance best regards ben hamilton thank you ben thanks Ben. okay so this is encounter building right um yeah we should do an episode on this uh, we should do an episode what was that episode seven episode five something like that um yeah i think that is the the crux right because you want something to be fun and challenging um if it's too challenging it's not fun but if it's too easy it's also not fun. So it's like finding that kind of hard to find middle. How do you guys do this? What do you use? Middle ground. Uh, balance is do? an illusion and a lie. Uh, all you need to do <laughs> is simulate the world and make reasonable conclusions about things. Um, if your players are too powerful, just add in more stuff to your uh, to your encounter. Add in more goblins, add in a bugbear. Um, add in another wave. Yeah. Like more of them show up. Yeah, try to call for help. Try to like, spend your players' resources. Um, before they get into the real fight. Um, I would just say make them know, hit harder. Because um, yeah, adding out their new waves of enemies just makes combat go longer. Um, and you really want combat to be more succinct and more fun. Um, so yeah, I just set up, uh, maybe give them another attack. Maybe, uh, but also encounters um, can have multiple ways to solve them. Um, so for example, uh, my players snuck past this cool specific uh specifically created post-apocalyptic campaign version of a dragon so it's this big radioactive glow-in-the-dark dragon um that i was so excited to use my players snuck past him and i was like i at first i was like are you kidding me but then i was like they had so much fun doing that um and so it was it was better um in the long run so fun doesn't have to be balanced um it, you just have to gauge what they like most and really indulge in that. If they like twists, give them some plot twists. If they like, um, if they like uh, simple combat where they're effective, then do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So fun, fun and challenging aren't necessarily like you don't have to have challenge to be challenged to have fun. So I think that what is more interesting is, is combat engaging and fun. So if you focus on a combat encounter as being engaging and having interesting enemies that interact with the world in interesting ways, that is going to be inherently more fun because the players are automatically more invested into the game and the stats don't necessarily matter as much. If you're focusing on, like, if you really want to make it harder for them, just add more HP, add more damage. Like, that's 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 something that you can do. Or add more attacks. Those, those yeah. are all things that you can easily tweak, but what you should really be focusing on is like what what type of enemies would be interesting for them to encounter that would make sense in this dungeon or in mm-hmm. this spot in the world and that would be my advice yeah other quick tips make the villains personal uh make them quip or just like make remarks during fighting to the the players uh have have fights or challenges or conflicts take place in weird environments um yeah there, there's a lot you can do a lot of levers also to terrain terrain yeah cool terrain um, for more info, listen to episode 15, which is all about encounter building. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 27. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram are at Vox Arcana Podcast. And our email is Vox Arcana Podcast at gmail.com. When you wander into the swamp, the swamp wanders into you.